Hi everyone, welcome to Constant Writers Season 2, Episode 2. I'm very excited to have you here. My name is Dave Masson, at Dave Masson on Instagram, and this is the show where I talk to indie horror authors about them, about their work, and then between us, we geek out about Stephen King. We chat about how Stephen King has influenced them as writers, and then we take a deep dive into a book of my guest's choice before wrapping up with the 19 question quickfire Stephen King challenge. If you haven't checked out the previous episodes, do make sure once you finish with this one to go back and listen. We've got some great conversations from season one and season two is also shaping up to be an absolute ripper. Also, don't forget you can sign up to my weekly newsletter where you get more indie horror author recommendations from me and some short fiction from me as well. The link to that is in the description for this episode. Also, you'll find a link to my book, The Ultimate Stephen King Quiz Book. If you ever fancy running your own Stephen King trivia night, you can go and get that. And, well, quiz away until your heart is completely content. Anyway, I'm rambling now. Let's get on to the intro for this episode, which I'm really excited to share with you. So my guest for this one is an absolute hunk of a man, a punk rocker, a swaggering, confident author who dialed in from Australia. It's the one and only Garth Jones. So we talked about a whole range of things, particularly his own imprint, Past the Ammo, which is where you can get his collection Cheaper Skips and his homebrewed Vampire Bullets series, which, yeah, are really exciting projects to go and explore. We talk about being fiercely independent, having a punk rock sense of, well, independence. Uh, we talk about the Super Mario's movie. We talk about uh, stock image covers. And then we take a deep dive on Garth's book of choice, The Dark Half. So we cover some stuff from this book. We cover pseudonyms. And we just have, generally, a really good time. And we managed to dodge any sparrows that were flying again. So this is a great conversation, really enjoyed getting to know Garth and chatting more about him and his path to being a writer and of course geeking out about King. So I will see you on the other side, but for now, settle down and enjoy my conversation with Garth Jones. Welcome to Constant Writers, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, man. Uh, we're right in the middle of school holidays, I'm sure you know what that's like, and um... <laughs> I've just been to see Super Mario, so I'm in a very Stephen King mood now. Ah, oh, nice, nice. And how was how was Super Mario? I'm I'm amazed it's making that much money. Uh, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> it could have been much worse. We're going to see Argonaut tomorrow, so you know we've got like the full full school holiday uh, complement of junk to get through. Oh, nice, well, nice. Well, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Um, oh. <laughs> Obviously, we uh, we will get on to Stephen King later in this chat, but um, I wanted to start by talking about you, and I think there's a load to chat about, as there always is with, with people who I get on this show. Um, but for you, I mean, I don't think I've ever spoken to such a, I guess the only way to put it is such a punk rock author before. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess before we get into your work and your imprint and your ethos and, and all of that kind of thing, like, I guess to start, the question I always ask people to start these, like, what's... What's your origin story with all things literature? When did you fall in love with writing? When did you fall in love with reading? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I come from Broken Hill in far western New South Wales, which is uh, where Mad Max was. Mad Max Two was shot. <laughs> um, so this is like you know growing up uh, pre-internet uh, in one of the most remote places in Australia. Uh, 
you know, the local library was pretty much where you went if you weren't playing, you know, a football player. <laughs> so, you know, it was, uh, my parents were readers, uh, they were into theater, musical theater, uh, all the stuff that they, you know, there's not the cliche of like growing up in a, you know, rough and tumble regional town. We always, yeah, we're at the library and it was, yeah, I think I will probably get to it, but yeah, I think I first probably got on the King with the eyes of the dragon or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was pretty much, yeah, go time for me. English course in Australia at, in primary school and high school, not too bad. Uh, followed through with stuff like three English, which is like where you learn the Gothic and all that sort of gear Yeah, in preparation to go into university. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was yeah, pretty much, uh, writ to pardon the pun, uh, to get into communications. I went into, into graphic design first, uh, and then circle back. I've read the um, the about section of your website and it's prompted a couple of questions that I'm sure it prompts everyone to ask you when you're doing these sure. interviews, but I'm going to throw them out there anyway. So the about section says that your your first job was designing ads for phone sex lines and that you did time as a resident atheist provoc provocateur at a church newspaper and you drew comics for the one and only David Lee Roth when you were just out of uni. I mean, Garth, just, just tell me about like, all of those things. Um, I'd never really had a focused career plan. <laughs> It'd be easy to uh, surmise from that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I studied in Sydney. Uh, I went as far away from Broken Hill as I could when I uh, left in the first place. So Sydney was like a 24 hour train ride. Um, and I gave up on uni halfway through cause I decided I did want to start uh, you know, working professionally and it's a little bit of a tweak on the bio. I actually worked for a TV station for a few months before I got the phone sex line at uh, job. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it reads better. Um, <laughs> and I lasted a month because I was just sitting with pornography all day. <laughs> and it's, it's actually turns out, you know, a lot of my friends from, the, from school went on to work on the mine and they read the magazines I designed the ads for. Um, and they thought it was the most spectacular job you could possibly get, but it's really grueling and really depressing <laughs> to actually be exposed to that much pornography all day, every day yeah. and people calling up, uh, cause part of the job was to, um, answer the phone to take credit card numbers. This is sort of like the burgeoning as the internet was eating porn completely. Mm. Um, and you would have to answer the phones to people expecting to go straight through to the ladies on the <laughs> So for oh, me, nice. yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a month of like harrowing insights into like, uh, yeah, the, uh, I guess the, the male psyche. Great. Right. Yeah, yeah. Moving on from that. Yeah. I went to, I, I continued studying and then, uh, yeah, uh, I was, I worked on a book called, um, Van Halen, the strange and twisted tales with an author mm -hmm. called Lance Watts in the States. Uh, and yeah. Uh, it actually caught David Murrell's eye eventually, and we ended up working on his web comic when it was a flash-based experience. Uh, so was you can he, get the sort of dates. Was he like to work with? Because I remember reading his autobiography. My my dad recommended me reading it, and he yes. just said he just said to me, "When you read it, just imagine, don't imagine him reading it to you. Imagine him shouting it to you, because that's that's kind of what he's like. Like, what what is he like to work with?" Well, I, it was all secondhand through, uh, Lance, the writer. Um, so I didn't actually have any direct contact. I have an answering machine message somewhere and a check that he signed for the uh, mm -hmm. project. 
Um, but the answering machine message was essentially that, yeah, he had, you know, two Playboy. This is like 2003, I guess. So it was like getting a bit sad. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was still Dave. <laughs> he was getting around in like in the bronze sort of, you know, one piece with like the, the two Playboy models dressed as cats. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pre the reunion where the Van Halen brothers sort of straightened him out again, I think, to an extent. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Nice. Oh, yeah. this, it certainly makes you uh, you stand out in your about section. I've not read that anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, so you, so you're bouncing around on you bounce around from these different um, jobs that are all kind of giving you some very rich life experiences, uh, to say the least. So, when did you start taking your writing more seriously? Uh, I'm going to credit actually working for the Uniting Church in Australia for that. Um, this was sort of seven or eight years ago now, um, and it's coming off the back of a few graphic design jobs that I'd been sort of pretty miserable in. Um, and I expressed to the editor of the, it was a church newspaper we were working on. Uh, and my editor, this is like a little team of atheists within the Uniting Church itself. Um, <clears throat> said to the editor, look, I can write <laughs> and let's, can, can I just sort of start to like work my way in with like reviews and things like that. So. In quick succession, I ended up doing stuff like the first season of Preacher, <laughs> the uh, the Garth Ennis comic uh, adaptation. I uh, got that over the line into the church newspaper's review section uh, and just kept nudging and seeing, because, you know, shit stirring, uh, nudging away, seeing what I could expose the audience to. And they're all, you know, the Uniting Church is a pretty progressive church, but my hate mail boulder is still pretty, <laughs> pretty dense. <laughs> I got a lot of yeah theological musings from people, especially when I was doing stuff around the same-sex marriage uh, uh, referent. Oh, sorry, the plebiscite in Australia, mm -hmm. um, and writing about the Dark Mo Boat Festival, things like that, which did have church involvement. But yeah, there's a conservative streak that was very fun to sort of needle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as much as possible. Yeah, yep. And and what about sort of fiction side did you did you oh, start sorry, so yeah, experiments yeah, so and stuff there or? the editor deb there was very encouraging getting me back on board there and then um i actually did start submitting shorts and things and one of the first things i did was like what ended up being the first 40 pages of this of the homebrewed vampire bu bullets project mm -hmm. uh in a very early early form but that sort of gave me the sense of actually it was achievable now and the edge lordy voice that I'd developed previously seemed to have been gone. Mm -hmm. You know, I was writing notes and I was playing with little bits and pieces, but just felt like, uh, you know, I was, you know, trying to ape way too many other people. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I think the voice just clicked suddenly around 2015, 2016, and yeah. it started to feel a lot more like a, something that was uniquely me and that, you know, I'd just sit down and pump out 2000 words a day or whatever, and it felt good. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned homebrewed vampire bullets there. And I, I absolutely wanted to talk about that. I know by the time this is this episode comes out, volume three will be will be out there in the world, um, and the series is definitely on my on my TBR. Um, and the synopsis has me hooked already. Um, I'd, I'd appreciate like giving me and I guess those watching and listening just like what's what's the pitch for this one for the series and and I guess for 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 the new volume in particular. Uh, so yeah, the pitch is essentially this is a um, blackout drunk road uh, adventure featuring a, a burnt out pub rocker called Ed von Satan who was zombified by a bunyip and I've played fast and loose with, loose with a lot of mythos. Uh, it's inspired by Ozploitation, um, 
it gets pretty, you know, pretty political, uh, and it's all driving towards a giant, uh, music festival that's being run by a self-help cult, uh, who are actually being controlled by essentially, uh, a conservative politician who is also an otherworldly entity that wants to basically strip mine the planet and, uh, use it as a resource. So, you know, like the, most the politics were up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like most conservative politicians then. Yeah, and I mean, my Tory baiting in the third one gets pretty, uh, you know, my, I'm very proud of the 30 or 40 names I came up with for the uh, Tories towards the end. Um, and I'm disappointed that I killed them all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. In the UK, there was an imprint called Attack Books in the late 90s, um, right. which was like the journalist Stephen Wells. Um, Zodiac, Mind Warp, all those guys. And retrospectively, I've sort of realized that that's sort of the tone that I'm working in. Like this would be yeah. mongrel punk. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not literature, you know, it's not high literature. It's like, uh, pulpy, uh, but yeah, there's ideas in there that like slide past and sort of, you know, it's been very gratifying to see that people are actually reading it and picking that up as well. Yeah, at first, at first glance, it's going to be very sweary and very sort of in your face, especially as with the, like the Australian vernacular. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised it travels as well as it does. Well, I was going to ask, like, how how have volumes one and two gone down so far? Then is it has it been a generally positive reaction? Yeah, I'll, I'll do some name dropping. Um, yeah, Kirsty Allison, who's like a UK author and um, personality, uh, she's been really kind to it. Uh, she wrote the book Psychomachia that came out from Wrecking Ball Press a couple of years ago. Uh, she's, uh, sort of, I guess she's your Courtney love. I hope you get to listen to this and then hate me saying that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, you know, really encouraging stuff from authors like Duvet Knox, who's like a, uh, a, uh, black pulp fiction, occult, um, sort of author from the, uh, from Louisiana. Uh, and yeah, uh, I mean, the whole idea of this project has sort of been to sort of plant the flag, I guess. And just get the word out and then sort of like, you know, build the project after it's released. Um, mm. But yeah, really happy with the reviews, really happy with people engaging with it and actually, you know, picking up on getting past the sort of blood and guts of the first one and then engaging with the ideas a lot more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's just super fun. Yeah. And then there's also um, Cheaper Skips, which is a, mm -hmm. a collection of shorts that were written, I think you put it written during, but not necessarily about the pandemic. And that's what I have read and really enjoyed, um, really enjoyed going through What was your favourite story? Um, I think, um, I can't remember the titles off the top of my head. The um, the one with the guy who keeps coming through the um, the gas station. and Right, yep, yep. The, the businessman. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, definitely not based on anyone. <laughs> definitely not <laughs> I think it, it's what I really like about it is I, I get a real sense of I work, obviously get a real sense of your style but there's a real there's a real kind of boldness and confidence in your own writing there and a real swagger about it um, I mean you, you mentioned it was kind of like a pandemic project of sorts so this was this collection of shorts is this like is this the pandemic giving you the chance to do something you've always wanted to do? Or was it just a result of that weird time that I think it was sprung it? I mean, I mean, coming into this, like the genesis of it would have been, I started primary caring for our daughter who's now four and a half, uh, in 2019 and mid 2019, I guess. So that was a sort of runway into the pandemic. Um, yeah. and having all that energy, the creative energy to burn. And all that anxiety too, because like I was, you know, 
if you turn around, you'd read about how someone was convinced there was going to be a methane burp that was going to wipe out all of existence, you know, instantaneously. And it was, yeah, obviously, but then we're all locked down. Um, and yeah, sort of kidding myself that it wasn't a pandemic thing, but it was definitely a reaction to, uh, to querying, 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 pitching, and just getting lots of blank stares and then realizing that actually... I know what I'm doing and I know exactly how I want to present it. And that's the, that, that was the point I decided to test out the model by yeah. publish, yeah, by creating the imprint and then publishing something and seeing where I could promote it, how to promote it and, you know, how to make it unique with things like the QR codes for like, probably by the time you read it, all the uh, special uh, video stuff was down because I was changing my website over but yeah there's a lot of things you know additional materials like dvd stuff and conversational things and into the new books which are all have music by a friend of mine from seattle okay and that's yeah something that's sort of uh <clears throat> yeah again like tying everything together and having this amazing soundtrack by john short who goes as half ma majesty uh yeah. really john carpenter inspired sort of uh vibe but yeah it's curating all that sort of gear is what really uh save me i guess in the sense of like being stuck at home all the time we, even though here in queensland was less painful than a lot of places other places but yeah mm. nonetheless yeah well, you mentioned your imprint there I, I i wanted to ask about that before we we move on to talking about um the big the big dog stephen king um i mean your imprint it just just from on a pure basic point of view it just looks extremely cool and it's so creative i mean you've mentioned those extras there and yeah like QR codes to sort of take you to to all these all these additional bits and pieces to sort of flesh out these stories and and, the, and just the bold graphic design. I mean, you can tell that you have a background in design as well because it just looks so good. And there's a real strong ethos behind it. Like specifically, you you're really upfront about staying the hell away from Amazon, which is which is interesting because because so many self publishers almost are almost dependent on Amazon because it is such a big market. But like, I'm curious just to hear a little bit more about this because it, it's it's clearly something you've put a lot of thought and a lot of effort into and when people discover it i think they'll go mad for it but like yeah i'm just i'm just curious to, to hear about a, a bit more about it really yeah i mean uh, yeah pretty bullshy about uh you know i don't I've, I've been forced to do the occasional amazon purchase lately for research and like i just you know it's just that sense of like feeding that beast and i know it's self it's sort of it's self-defeating but at the same time, I'm not, you know, uh, I like the challenge of actually like getting this out under my own steam and, mm. you know, using the wiles, uh, and, you know, I do ask people to review on Goodreads. I realize that's still owned by Amazon anyway, yeah. <laughs> but fuck, there's like a, there's a point where you're sort of like, you know, rock on a hard place. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I guess, especially the luxury at the moment of like, as the sort of primary carer, wait, I've got this window of time where I'm just focusing on this project when I'm not actually uh, going to Super Mario or, you know, doing the, <laughs> doing the, doing the usual gear. Um, so yeah, there is a sense of urgency. I mean, I started the book with a sense of urgency. I started the homebrew project with a sense of urgency because I literally had nine months to write something I've promised myself for 15 years I was going to do. <laughs> um, and there's nothing that sort of gets you moving like <clears throat> that deadline. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just, it's, I just really, at the end of the day, like I can do all that stuff and I want to do all that stuff myself. And it's, it's what's satisfying about it is like having total creative control. 
and not being told what to do. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I was going to ask like, is it, have you always had this independent kind of punk rock streak or, or how, how much of this has, has come about after trying to get published in the, the traditional in inverted commas way? Like, has that had any effect on where you've taken the, the imprint? I think, I think, you know, looping back to like coming from Broken Hill, there's like, uh, there's that sort of, I'm not going to self-attribute this too much, but like, there's just that sense of being an outsider and not being, you know, you, you just need to do shit your own way. Um, and yeah, I was pretty certain that it was going to be a, you know, pushing shit uphill to try and get a traditional publisher to look at this stuff. But by the same token, you know, really encouraged, like there's, uh, there's an Australian long form journalist named Richard Cook, uh, who's been really, really supportive. He's like, you know, he's in the New Yorker, he's in the Atlantic. Uh, he's all over the place and like, we've had a few conversations and done a few little sort of podcasty things mm. and it's, you know, that motivates me. The fact that there are like, you know, the understanding of the culture and like sort of, we don't do a lot of, uh, you know, there's not much satire. No one does satire. No one does stuff in genre in Australia because it's such a small pool. Um, it's all literary fiction and it's all pretty, you know, not narrow, I guess, but it, it's hard to sort of get something like this over the line. Um, mm. but with the advertising background and everything, I feel comfortable with like pushing it and sort of nurturing it into like growing an audience and not just sort of doing that thing that I noticed with a lot of creatives in Australia, especially, which is cringing about self-promoting. <laughs> it will then, they'll put their thing out and then they'll just expect people to come to it. Yeah. Which just seems to be, you know, a terrible, terrible idea or apologizing for promoting something that you've worked on for years. Uh, well, I think, that's... I think that's something that a lot of independent authors and independent artists in general struggle with. I know I, I, I've talked about it with, with Kelly Brocklehurst on the last season of this podcast. And we both, I think both of us being perhaps naturally more introverted, we, it, it's exactly that you spend days weeks months years on on putting your work together and then it's finally there and then it you just i don't know there's a natural aversion to actually telling people about it and it's it's really it's really refreshing coming across your imprint and seeing how bold it is and seeing seeing that you have got that confidence in, in what you're doing it's this is uh, well, i said oh, oh <clears throat> i guess i'll uh preface that with like i did an anthology about a decade where i tried to sort of wrangle a bunch of people and we but it worked for a while but it was like life sort of destroyed it eventually, but like bringing 20 or 30 people together to do like a comics, pho photography, uh, prose anthology that was a pretty chunky 150 pages every quarter <laughs> was, I guess that was sort of like the breeding ground of having, developing some of that confidence because I was pushing their work. Yeah. But in terms of, yeah, pushing mine, I guess the real uh, transition was when my friend Justin invited me to do his podcast, uh, Big Squid. And it's just like, you know, you, he's a comedian. He's been in the media for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. And it's just, yeah, you've just got to back yourself yeah. and actually, yeah, <laughs> tell people. And, you know, if people get sick of you, they can mute you. Sure. But, um, yeah. just keep it in, keep it entertaining at least. You know? yeah. And yeah. in terms of, in terms of backing yourself, like, are you, are you interested at all in working with a, a more traditional publisher now, or do you see, do you see yourself just continuing to do your own thing? Um, there are a couple of projects that like a collaboration that I'm starting at the moment that I could see headed in that direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in terms of my own stuff, I, 
quickly got the sense that like, you know, my production ideas and all the rest are pretty hard to get over the line for <clears throat> projects like this, uh, with a, even with a smaller indie, people still want that sort of control over the output. Um, and I mean, halfway through this, I've decided to change all the covers and I can. Yeah. Whereas no one else is going to let me do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, homebrew will stay on the AML, um, but yeah, there are other things that I think will yeah go in more traditional directions now that I've got a better idea of how that system works and you know who who to talk to. I yeah, and what about what about the prospect of not only publishing your own work on your imprint but like signing other authors? Is that is that something that interests you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Okay. Too hard. Too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it does sound like a pretty hard, hard work actually. Um, yeah. It, I mean, I guess if there was someone really unique, I would consider, but I'd have, yeah, my, um, tendency to get in the weeds and try and like, you know, uh, put the vision on top probably wouldn't be appreciated anyway. So <laughs> I'll stick to my lane on that one. Well, let's, um, we are here to talk. Stephen King. So let's let's talk about him. Um, again, same question I ask everyone when we get to this part of the interview. What what does Stephen King mean to you as a fan, and what sort of place does he hold in your heart? Uh, he was the gateway drug. Uh, he was the. I mean, I always read, as a saying, um, you know, as I, I guess, like you know, from four or five years old, um, and I'd always be like trawling through secondhand bookshops with my, my dad on Christmas vacations and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, as I said, I think, um, it was eyes of the dragon, mm -hmm. uh, and then the misfortune of Tommy knockers within <laughs> a few weeks from the library. Uh, cause he was right in the thick of that sort of like post or, you know, coming out of like the entire eighties dependency thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, just the, at that point it was like the visceral thrill of the experience of reading and looking up and going, I've just read 300 pages. <laughs> I'm a, you know, uh, and this guy's just got like the pace and the, um, the skill to bring you in. And yeah, after that, it was obviously sort of down the library looking at, I don't think I've ever read a Dean Kuntz, Kuntz book, but sort of Clive Barker, those, you know, getting into those sorts of zones, a bit of Ramsey Campbell, a bit of James Herbert, um, mm -hmm. and obviously branching out from horror and sort of leaving that after school, but definitely coming back to the well a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, surprisingly, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was shocked to discover that I'd read probably 60 or 70% mm. of the bibliography. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a lot of books when we're talking to Stephen King. <laughs> I mean, what, what sort of impact has King had on your own writing, but if any, um, well, I was, <clears throat> I was going through a few things last night and I'm, I'm going to pin, um, I was going to the regulators because we're going to talk about, you know, the pseudonyms and the sort of the death of, um, <clears throat> Richard Barkman. And I, you know, it's that the King's rhythm injection of like lyrics, uh, the media breaks, the parenthetical, uh, asides. I mean, all that stuff definitely had an influence on like, you don't have to do things traditionally. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, in the homebrewed books, I like every band has a different typeface for their name. Uh, you know, sort of dive in with illustration and bits of like typographic stuff. Um, but that was, I guess that planted the seed pretty early that like, you didn't have to sort of stick to the tradition and the sort of 
uh, formal style of writing that like you were sort of introduced to. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Like I couldn't, I couldn't pick it, like it synthesized through everything I do, I think. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you mentioned you've, you reckon you've read less, let's say so three quarters of the, of his work. Like, have you kept up to date with his more recent work or is there like a particular sweet spot or time period of King's stuff that, that particularly yep. floats your boat? I came back with revival. Mm -hmm. And I think I've, I mean, yeah, I, there are patches in the late nineties after I reckon Buick eight, maybe where I sort of fell away when it was into the Harps and Atlantis and that sort of zone. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's, yeah, I think there are patches like sort of late nineties, late noughties, but pretty much everything else I've sort of kept up with. Um, I've read fairy tale, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> my Billy Summers. Yeah. <laughs> I do wonder about the editor sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> oh, if he even has an editor. Yes. <laughs> well, let's, let's jump into your, your book of choice then, which is, um, which is the dark half. And very excited to talk about that. Cause that is a book that is always knocking around my own personal top 10. I think it's severely underrated, but I guess before we get onto the dark half, were there, when you were considering which book you wanted to go in on, were there any others that came up that you perhaps want to give a, a shout out to an honorable mention to when you were coming um, when well, I didn't, I didn't think Revival, I would like to revisit Revival. It's been about a decade um, mm. since it came out. Um, but, and yeah, something like Desperation even, I think maybe is underrated mm. um, in some senses. Uh, or the combination of Desperation and Regulators, which I went back and, yeah, as I said, looked at, and it was it was interesting to see what he was playing with uh, in the mid-90s, I guess, when that was, that was out. No, uh, but yeah, Dark Half is sort of like a all timer for me. So yeah, well, well, let's get on to it then. Dark yep. Half, nineteen eighty nine novel about his author Thad or Tad. I I, I don't know Thad. <laughs> they say Thad in the movie. It's Thad in the movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's Thad Beaumont whose secret pen name is discovered. So he kills the guy off, and then that bad mofo George Stark comes back to life and starts killing people. Obviously. Um, as I said, this one's consistently towards the top of my ranking, so I'm I'm fully supportive of this of this choice. But why why did you pick it? You you just said it's an all timer for you. So what is it about this book? I think it's it's one of his funniest books. Mm -hmm. Like there's some stuff in there that I like. You know, I it's been yeah, I was like 15, I think, when I read it. So it's been a while, mm -hmm. uh, and coming back to it, like some of the stuff, even in the, in the prologue, it, the the surgeon is hilarious. <laughs> some of the lines for the surgeon are you know, out there like yeah I won't repeat some of the language um, but yeah it, it's it's nasty like the the Richard Bachman through line is definitely there it's got mm. you know some of that sort of uh, it's blacker uh, the ideas around the, the pen name and the duality of uh, what he experienced with the Richard Bachman gear um, with the hook I didn't know was there when I first read it but like the backstory is pretty fascinating too um, and I, yeah, I just, yeah, it's one of those, uh, rereading it, uh, it was a complete flashback. Like I remembered everything. Mm. <laughs> Poor old Homer, the whole thing. Like it was, <laughs> yeah, it just been etched in the back of my brain for like 30 years, basically. And it's, it's quite a visceral one. This, I mean, there's, there's yeah. lots of, lots of kills. Like, do you have a favorite George Stark kill? Uh, it's Frederick Clawson, of course. <laughs> Because it was just like at the time, I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't, yeah, gangland what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think, yeah, I would have seen the film pretty close to it as well. So you had the, the double, yeah, whammy of like getting the uh, silhouette as well. 
mm-hmm. to go with to go with it. But yeah, Frederick Frederick Lawson for sure. And the nastiest one, and he's the guy who you know starts the whole thing rolling. So if I was was it Steve Brown, who was the actual guy who yeah yeah. If I was Steve, I'd be very grateful that the other Steve was less yeah. I mean he brutal. he I mean in real life, Stephen King arranged for the guy to. To write about yeah, it in a national magazine, didn't he? It's, um... There was a Washington Post article. It was really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, really, uh, he was a good writer too. Um, but yeah, very reasonable, all things considered. <laughs> so, in terms of in terms of the the sort of the characters at, at the centre of the dark half, we've obviously got the two halves of Thad. We've got Thad and we've got George Stark, and they're they're necessarily very different as they, how they come across on page. Like, if you were putting yourself in if you were forced to pick, would you be, are you more team Thad or are you more team George? I'm team George. <laughs> um, he got ripped off really, didn't he? Poor bastard. <laughs> it was just an eyeball and a few teeth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thad, Thad ruined his life really. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think um, to that, and um, we'll get there, I'm sure. Uh, but I think I'm team George in the film more, more so than the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I think, the, the 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 twin aspect works better with Timothy Hutton playing both characters um, yeah. versus like Alexis Machine basically George Stark essentially being Alexis Machine with the blonde slab of malformed clay that goes around and ruins all these people. And this is this is a book where we we it's the first time we meet Alan Pangborn as well I think in yeah. in the King Universe. Like, what do you make of him as a as a as a character? And is he is he someone you enjoy? Sort of keeping up with um, later on in, in in later books. Yeah, I. Is it yeah interesting cop character, isn't he? Like he's uh, sort of the the skeptic, but also um, decent bloke. And yeah, Norris Norris Ridgwick, Ridgwick's pretty funny too. Like the a lot of the sort of uh, I guess he, he calls it the Barney Fifeisms, doesn't he? Like the sort of they're all based on like Andy Rooney sort of t- televisual tropes and. Um, yeah, I think because Pangborn's in Needful Things, where does he show up after that? Because that might have been where I sort of lost the thread a bit. That's basically where he he sails yeah. off because he yeah he sort of he does his fancy magic tricks to to get rid of Leland Gaunt and then yes, I think we hear about him in passing in Bag of Bones, but but yeah. Norris Norris and um and Andy Clutterbuck sort of yeah. take the reins after That's that. That's right. So yeah, yeah. He sort of he has his moment um in Needful Things really, but um. But yeah, it's kind of you've got you've got him following on from Bannerman. So I guess he did he he does better than Bannerman because he doesn't get his guts ripped out by a rabid dog. So it's it's a it's a positive a positive start. Um, yeah, I I love the, the Castle Rock books are sort of like yeah where it all sort of came together. I guess I mean, and also I like the idea of the Dark Half as like part of the trilogy about writing that started with Misery through Tommy Knockers and then sort of comes to a sort of crux in dark half as well like although tommy knockers is obviously you know two-thirds uh psycho- psychosis yeah. yeah like as soon as we get to like i remember as you know when i read it the first time getting to it and just sort of like oh there's a big chunk of th- um, town history that i clearly don't need to know hmm. and yeah flicking smoke past that yeah and it's interesting throwing misery into that grouping as well because misery was famously going to be a backman book originally yeah. and yeah. it was it, it was a lot nastier. I think it was going to end with Annie Wilkes producing this book and and making a cover out of Paul Sheldon's skin for it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which obviously yeah, yep. 
so it's it, yeah i think it's it's interesting to make the connection between those two like that it that it is also of that there is there is some connective tissue running through it there and that <clears throat> there's different ideas of writing there's like there's like the fandom there's there's the i guess with the dark half it, as much as anything it's about satisfying your own creative needs and like yep. do, doing what you want to do and then tommy knockers in the middle is what productivity i don't yeah. know i don't know I, 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 I don't know how to how to sum up that one in terms of its comments on writing I just buy a shitload of back yeah, i just go for it it just doesn't work if you're like yeah too narcotized uh or at least <laughs> yeah edit, edit sober i think it was <laughs> yeah the irony of seeing right, right ways right to edit sober yeah yeah no yeah. i think that's fair um coming back onto the dark half i mean there's it, it's obviously it's a bit of an out there plot is i think i think would, as long as you accept the premise it's a lot of fun to go with but there are still some some unusual parts in it even even for for a story with the plot that it is and i think the sparrows for me have always stood out as a as a an unusual device and something that comes back throughout the book like because we see them in the in the surgery scene we obviously they, they help in the climax and they, they're sort of there throughout like do they work for you as a, as a plot device these little birds um, they don't work so well on screen. Um, um, but in, I was, I was reading about this recently cause we were staying in a, um, what I reckon, I'm pretty sure it was a haunted farmhouse when we came back to Australia after a bit of a stint in New Zealand. Um, it had some very, very interesting vibes. Um, and magpies in indigenous culture here are considered to be either like, um, yeah, the similar, um, they're psychopomps. They are either there to pick up a someone to take to the afterlife, or they're sort of yeah, they're an omen of something about to happen. So, yeah, maybe you could have just yeah, maybe we can go back and do magpies because magpies are big, bigger, like they're seagull size, and you might get a a better outcome. Yeah, but I, I think it works. I mean, it's creepy as hell. Uh, the sparrows flying, um, or yeah, threatening to fly. Um, but yeah, I think with that little bit of extra knowledge, it did help sort of get the concept over the line in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. So I was curious, like, if you had, or maybe maybe you maybe you do have, and I'm not I'm not asking you to reveal any secrets, but let's say you were you were you had a dark half out there who was doing stuff in this space as well. What what might their name be, and what genre do you think they would write? I'm going to stick with uh, Steve's. Uh process for creating the name he had Bachman Turner Overdrive on mm-hmm. and Richard Stark on his desk so I'm going with Rennie Letraset. uh Rennie Ellis is an Australian photographer he's currently propping up my laptop okay. and Letraset was a book of typography that was sitting next to me last night when I was going through this um and he's going to be a Rennie is a disgustingly high-selling uh daddy literature author um who's got a hugely well well regarded series of uh, daddy lit novels or in every chain store in the country so he's yeah he's the worst half yeah <laughs> yeah de- definitely definitely the dark half but and he uh, might he's probably paleo he's probably like an anti-vaxxer so, so you know <laughs> but hey you know like like with that if, if that keeps the money yeah. coming in and lets lets your that's right. your light half do what you what you want to do then mm. um then that's all good and I mean, obviously, obviously, we've touched on this. This is this this whole idea behind the dark half is obviously inspired by King's own pseudonym, Richard Bachman, sort of being rumbled and 
and all of that stuff. And I, I remember reading for this when I was um, writing my my King quiz book. I remember reading that he actually first wanted this book to have been a been one that was co-authored by him and Backman. And I, I I keep coming back to the idea of this and thinking like if that if they'd made it that far with the secret having not come out, trying to work out how they would have done it and like king clearly rich enough and connected enough to um to make it happen do, do you think it would have worked if we'd have got to 89 with batman still being a mystery i guess my my question is like around his process as Batman. um you know was it primarily uh, uh the, the depressive anxiety substance abuse all the rest and this is his first cyber novel, Dark Half. Yeah. So would that have been playing with fire to have, uh, yeah, treaded into that sort of territory that early in his sobriety? Um, that would be my question. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder whether, whether the, I mean, obviously he got rumbled, but like, I wonder whether if he'd have still had Bachman as a secret at that point but he did made his sobriety exactly as you were saying i wonder whether he he would have just abandoned that idea like you say because it just it would have been too risky because i can imagine a still a still using kink having a lot of fun doing this and hiring like getting the act getting an actor in to come and like oh, do yeah. conventions with him and stuff and you, you could see them taking it quite far and quite silly really but but yeah i think you make a really good point there about n not exactly knowing what was the process behind his own dark half and, and what might yeah. that do to yeah. his what might that do to his brain because he because you know he obviously left it i mean the regulators is the next time he picks up anything from backman and that's a that's a good i was 96 that's a good decade yes. plus after being rumbled and clearly he's he was in a much healthier place then so he probably felt more in control to come back with it but yeah i don't know i still I, I do i do still like it as an idea but yeah not maybe you could do it now he seems pretty uh yeah pretty pretty nailed down and uh stable now so yeah <laughs> got, yeah yeah bring him bring him back from the dead um one more role yeah you've mentioned the movie um the 1993 george a romero movie yeah. i think it was it was filmed like two years earlier but i think dimension films just basically went bankrupt so they couldn't do anything for a couple of years that was right yeah yeah are you are you a fan of the movie Yes, yeah, I think it's great. Um, I think it's certainly underrated. Um, mm. And yeah, I think I saw, yeah, it would have been because Pet Cemetery was 89, 90, wasn't it? Um, but then, then he had a good little pocket of the really, the dark stuff coming out. And um, yeah, I mean, I love, I don't love Timothy Hutton, but I do love the idea of the twin being um, replicated more clearly than the books. Um, I think that adds a, a bit more to the narrative than having the two dissimilar sort of physical appearances. Mm. Uh, I think Romero's like practical stuff, like, you know, watching the documentaries leading up to this and looking at like what the process was. Um, it sounds like Romero was probably too laid back for the <laughs> relatively large budget they had mm. for the era. Uh, Michael Rooker, um, it's fun to think about him actually playing Thad and George, mm. uh, as apparently was one of the options, but like mm. no one could see him doing it after Henry Portrait of a Zero Color, playing the family man. Um, and yeah, the cinematography, like some of the, you know, the scene with the, the photographer in the hallway, yeah. 
there's just some really beautiful lurid stuff in the mix as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, there's a there's a there was a video game as well, wasn't there? I know mm. there's like a there's like a run through of it on YouTube. I mean, I've never played. You can actually go to abandonware.com, I think, and there's like you can play it in your browser. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've got a link somewhere. I can send it to you after. But yeah, I had a quick play of it. Um, yeah, it's in that sort of uh, text adventure. I guess point and click adventure, Lucas Art style. Yeah. Ah, totally. Yeah. And, and of all of all the King titles to get, like a random video game yeah. drop. And it's yeah. so Thad, yeah, because Thad Beaumont ends up in all the scenarios where George Stark's killing people. It's sort of a really, yeah, just a very, very weird sort of concept, but it apparently almost got a sequel too. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, there we go. Um, I guess, I guess lastly then on the dark half, I mean, for anyone who is watching or listening to this, who hasn't gone in on the dark half yet, particularly on the book, what three words would you describe to to sell the dark half and convince someone to give it a go? We're going to hyphenate so I can get it over the line. Uh, straight razors and psychopomps. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Some high tone sons of bitches ideas in there, but yeah. Um, yeah. The limitations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I like it. To work Great. with it. Yeah. I just got there just before we talk, start to talk. Great. Well, um, okay. Well, this has been fascinating to, to chat all things you and all things King Guff. Um, but before we're done, um, we're moving on to the the quick fire nineteen question yep. King challenge. Like we're doing this, it's not an optional thing. But I just want to check before we jump in. I guess are, are you ready to give this a go? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So it's quick fire round. Um, I might ask for more explanation if you say something particular. Yeah, I think you might. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, just assume you just answer the question with as cool. as little information as you want to. Really. Um, so, what was the first King book you read? Eyes of the Dragon. And what's the most recent King book you read? Song of Susanna. Okay. What's your all-time favourite King book? It's Cemetery. And what about your all-time least favourite? Dark Tower Seven. Okay. <laughs> um, is that are you are you just not a Dark Tower head, or was it was it that uh, volume in particular that didn't work for you? I felt I was sliding off the cliff. Uh, and yeah, I plummeted on beginning seven. Yeah. Fair enough. Yep. I hit the wall. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think is King's most underrated book? Desperation. Okay. Um, in terms of like cover artwork, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear your answers for these couple with, with your graphic design background. What's your, what's your favorite King cover art? Uh, the UK edition of it, mm -hmm. uh, by Jerry Grace, which is the, uh, orange, shot of the house on um Nybolt Street morphing yeah, this into Pennywise. That was mm -hmm. the one I read at the time. Uh and that's yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a few I mean the old timers, like some of the stuff around obviously the uh the painted, more garish stuff from the eighties right up there. But that yeah, that one in particular, like as soon as I saw it again, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, how did I even like, you know, I hadn't crossed my mind for years, and I was like, "That is stunning," and I might buy the print. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, what about your least favorite cover art? Any of the Photoshop stock image ones from the last, I guess it was early two thousand and tens, maybe, mm -hmm. where it's just a stock image with the filter over. Yeah, just no imagination. Uh, extremely dull. Uh, sure, they get another addition out of it but yeah just um just crap yeah they, they must really pain 
someone like you who's got that design background, they, they must really pain you to look at just what, uh, the wasted potential. Well, you know what what's been it's done just, previously. Yeah, I mean, you know, like to the to the Dark Tower books, like some of the Michael Whelan gear, really spectacular. And then obviously when the film came out five or six years ago, they went in the generic photoshopped man with no name direction. And yeah, mm-hmm. just come on, get back to painting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to, yeah. Give some illustrators, you know, and some, uh, you know, graphic artists, some, some, uh, cred because AI is going to eat it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the one King book you could recommend to any type of reader? What am I going to say there? Um, any type of reader. Yeah. Well, any, anyone who likes reading fiction, I guess. <clears throat> I might dip in with like a Billy Summers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, from a more recent, uh, sort of, uh, less, uh, I mean the, the crime stuff in general, like I don't love the Mr. Mercedes, but like, I think Billy Summers was a pretty solid, mm-hmm. uh, entry in that sort of, uh, genre. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, thinking about adaptations and movies, miniseries, et cetera, what's, what's your favorite King adaptation? I love John Carpenter, so I'm going to go with uh, Christine. Mm-hmm. Although it's right. probably like Dead Zone, Carrie, yeah. Shining. Um, yeah, there's been a few good ones. <laughs> you know, like all that stuff from the late 70s through to the late 80s was pretty great. We're pretty yeah. great, yeah. What about your least favourite? Cell. Uh, <laughs> yep, fair, very fair. <laughs> um, if you had the chance to have a King character make a cameo in your own work, who would you like to have? I was going to go with Roland LeBay. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I'm going to actually upgrade to Greg Stilson from The Dead Zone. Ooh. Um, yeah. Because he's so much fun. And I think he fits into my into the universe of like awful conservative politicians that I develop as the yeah. series of homebrew books go on. Yeah. Do any, do any of your politicians like, have a history of kicking dogs to death? Or would that be something unique? Because uh, that was offer. One of them was like, a, well, I guess Greg's probably a sort of low lower stakes like just it's just nuclear war not interdimensional cosmic um <laughs> resource harvesting <laughs> but it'd be fun to meet on the way <laughs> yeah definitely um which uh which king book or story would you say is most similar to your own style of writing uh regulators okay nice yeah um and then for this one i just want you to give me one king book for each of these so one king book that you keep forever so you reread it as many times as you like until it falls apart and you, you just love forever. One that you read only once and then just pop back on your shelf and never really think about it again. And one that you would happily delete from existence. Uh, st- the Stand mm-hmm. is the all-timer. Um, I'm going to go Needful Things in terms of like the, yes, I'll read it once. Uh, contradicting myself a bit, but I think it's in that zone. And yeah, I hate sell in every iteration. Uh and I still don't understand. I mean, I guess it speaks to some of these classic boomer dad sort of uh, technology, <laughs> technological weirdness over the years. But like every time it's something about, you know, in the recent collection, what's the, the story about the mobile phone that rings from the grave and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah always an areas, but also, yeah, a bit hard to stomach. And yeah, sells definitely the nadir of that sort of boomer yeah. dad gear. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And we're moving into the final five of this challenge. Now, this is these are just a straight either or. Yep. Um, so, um, the book or the movie? Book. The Stand or It? I'm going to go It because it's trashier. The Stand's still the better book. 
but uh, it is a bit of a um, it's a very entertaining raid for all its uh, flaws. Mm -hmm. Would you rather take a holiday in Derry or have a night at the Overlook? I'm going to drink Lloyd. Okay, nice. Um, short story or full novel? Novel. And lastly, would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? I haven't come down on either. <laughs> um, I'll take my chance with Annie, just for to be contrary to a few of the other answers I've heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's brave, but um, yeah. but good. Okay, great. Well, um, Garth, this has been a lot of fun and really, really good to chat to you. And, and thank you for, for giving up your time thank to come you, on the podcast. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to sort of put over to you to let people know where they can find you more about you and, and what you've got coming up I mean, obviously we're recording this just ahead of volume three of of um of homebrewed coming out so that will be out by the time this is out there so yeah just the floor is yours what what have you got going on where can people find you uh i'm at pastedamel.com uh which is where i'm selling everything uh with the the whole yeah you can get everything uh, digitally or print on demand, which I found is an easier model. Although I will do uh, signed limited editions uh, as when we get rolling a bit more. Um, I'm on Twitter. We'll see how long that lasts now. Uh, now that it's X Corp or whatever it is, and the Doke, the Doke images on there and all the other shit. Um, at at Pass the Ammo, Instagram at Pass the Ammo, and on Substack and probably transitioning more into that space. Although we said the same thing about Mastodon six months ago and we're still <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Coming up though, uh, once I finish this, this three books, I'm going to move on to a project, um, a collaboration about the Brisbane music scene in the seventies, right. um, with a, another writer over here and sort of reset my palette a bit and try and do something in another voice. <laughs> Right, uh, and it hopefully will take up the rest of the year at this point. Try and get a manuscript done, and then out in front of people. So that's a little bit of a yeah, an exciting one to get onto, and just yeah, researching and just getting a lot of reading done about what a because Brisbane was essentially like a police state in the nineteen seventies and eighties under a sort of autocratic sort of Trump precursor. Uh, so yeah, lots to learn there because we we only lived here for a few years, so all brand new. <laughs> Oh, sounds great and um yeah i'll make sure there's links to everything you mentioned in the descriptions that people can check you out um so yeah brilliant again Carl, thank you so much it's been it's been a, a great chat and um yeah look forward to seeing what you do next cheers dave thank you so there we go wasn't that great thanks so much to Garth for his time for coming on the podcast and just delivering an absolutely smashing interview do check out garth's work i'll put all the links to everything he mentioned in the description below so you can go and find and support him and hey let me know what you think and let me know what you think of the dark half as well and if you want to find my 19 reasons to read the dark half that's on my youtube channel i will make sure there's a link in all the relevant places too so as ever thank you for checking out constant writers if you enjoyed this, then why not share it with a friend who might also feel the same? And make sure you're either following or subscribing, depending on where you're getting this show. It really does help this thing grow and spread a bit more. And if you want to check out my other stuff on YouTube, it's Dave Reads King on YouTube. You'll find me, and there's lots of videos there for you to check out. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Constant Writers. Next time, it's a big one.
we're covering one featuring a certain clown and it's the first of two episodes of this series where we're covering that particular book so do come back for that and of course as i mentioned earlier you can check out my stephen king quiz book you can sign up to the newsletter all of those kind of things but hey if you're still listening at this point you're probably just like dave wrap it up so i'm going to do that thank you for listening and i'll be back with another constant writer very soon